Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the and I'm. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That is my name, and I welcome you back. If you're a returning listener and if you're a newcomer to the show, then I welcome you to this episode, and I hope that you uh, will be back for more. Thanks again to everybody who has signed up to be a patron here in the last little bit. Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show is where you go to do that. What you can get for signing up to be a patron, you'll get early access to all the interviews that you hear on every episode of The Pipeline Show. Basic way I do the show is I do the interviews, say, Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, and the show is put together so that it comes out on a Friday. Right after I'm done the interviews, basically I can edit them fairly quickly, uh, and uh, normally I get those up probably within a half an hour, hour of uh, the time that I've actually hung up the phone with the guest, and those interviews are put up right away on the Patreon site. So folks who sign up to be a patron for a couple of bucks a month, uh, they have early access to all the interviews that eventually uh, come out on Friday or Saturday uh, on a full episode of the Pipeline Show, which is what you're listening to right now. And if not for the support of patrons uh, right now, I'm not sure the show would be continuing uh, as we speak at the moment, as most businesses aren't doing a whole lot of advertising. But I digress. Uh, anyway, we always start the show off with the question of the week. I actually don't have a question of the week for you. i got to be honest. Uh, I've just been kind of, the last couple of days, real life has been affecting me. And I, and I just, uh, you know, I'm watching the news and... Um, I want to take the pipeline show and make it a distraction from real life, but every once in a while, real life just kind of creeps up on you. And gotta admit, I'm in a bit of a downer at the moment. So I don't have a question of the day for you. I'm going to relate a positive though this week. Actually, something that is really, really cool. Uh, my wife, her name is Moira. She's a uh, a nursing instructor, a teacher uh, with Northwest College here in Edmonton, and like a lot of universities or schools. Uh, she's been uh, teaching uh, online basically the last uh, couple of months since uh, the pandemic hit. But a couple of weeks ago, she was uh, notified that uh, she would be she would be taking students back out into the field, and so she's going into a long-term uh, care facility uh, this month and next month into a uh, one of the local hospitals uh, with students. And obviously, with the pandemic going on, there is some risk involved in that. Uh, and we have a, a special needs kid uh, with an immune deficiency. Uh, so that is a a big concern for us. So we made the decision that uh, Moira would have to isolate from us for a couple of months just to absolutely make sure that she's not bringing anything accidentally home with her. Now, I will say Moira is unbelievable 
knowing what she can and what she can't do and all the sterilization that needs to happen and all of that and sanitizing this and sanitizing that she's she is definitely in charge in anything health related uh, in our family uh, but where do you isolate how do you do that we don't have a garage and i know a lot of uh, people are doing that uh, who are frontline workers they you know they might be living in their garage right now to stay away from uh, their immediate family uh, we don't have that uh, option so uh, she had done some research and she was looking for uh, maybe uh, buying a trailer or renting an RV or something like that. I was looking around to uh, see if I could find anything and couldn't. Uh, I actually got a little desperate and put it on Twitter to see if anybody had, you know, any ideas. Maybe there was a, an RV dealership around the area that uh, had discounts for people or something like that that were in this a similar situation. Uh, well, the good news is that uh, there is, and uh, a solution came to us. Uh, even I don't know the paper trail exactly, but she had put it on Facebook, this request that uh, we were looking for, and it got back to uh, an RV dealership in Ontario, and uh, then uh, they forwarded on to uh, somebody that they knew and somebody that they knew, and it, it kind of trickled down to uh, Arcan RV here in, uh, in Alberta, uh, locations in Edmonton and Calgary and Carstairs, and they contacted us, and they basically are loaning us a trailer for two months uh, at no cost. Um, so I, I was, we were absolutely floored by their generosity. Uh, they actually brought it out and set it up, and and you know we didn't even we're not campers, so they did everything for us. So a couple of nights ago, Moyer started her two-month isolation, living in our driveway in an RV. Uh, courtesy of Arcan RV, and that's uh, spelled A double R K A double N. Uh, you can follow them online at A R R K A N N R V at Arcan RV. And again, uh, I mentioned the um, locations. They got they have two locations in Edmonton: 19th Street, 80th Avenue, St. Albert Trail, and 131st Avenue. Uh, they're also in Carstairs and in Calgary. It's at uh, 272211 Veilview Road. You can go to their website though, that's arcanrv.com. Lots of information there. Just incredible people though, and their generosity is fantastic and it means a ton for our family. So if you have any RV needs of any kind, I absolutely recommend checking out Arcan Trailer and RV. Give them a follow on Twitter, and if you want to. Let them know that it was because you heard uh, what they did for, for us and tell them the pipeline show sent you. Hey, go ahead. Terrific people. Thanks to Ken and Sarah and Rob and everybody that we've uh, spoken with uh, at Arcan. They, they're all just first-class people, top shelf. I can't recommend them enough. I'm going to get to some news and notes, but actually most of the news and notes around the CHL and the NCAA are actually going to be talked a lot about uh, with the guests that we have on this week. Uh, so I'm not going to talk a lot about it. We're, we're going to, in fact, I'll just get to the guest list here. And of course, all of my guests will be joining me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The tap room back open in Red Deer. They are limited to 50% capacity inside and out, and they've added new outdoor private booths. And uh, when you go, they'll seat you. And uh, they've got plenty of uh, tap room cleaning and sanitation available right there, hand sanitizer. So uh, if you're concerned at all, they're uh, doing their best to. Easier concerns, uh, but the tap room in Red Deer is open once again, and of course their uh, free daily delivery. If you're in Calgary or Edmonton or St. Albert or Sherwood Park or Red Deer, you can get 
a same-day free delivery if you get your order in uh, to them before 1 p.m. Check that out. Go to troubledmonk.com uh, for all the details on that, including the list of all the different uh, brews that you can uh, have delivered to your door. And they've got the adequate vodka and uh, the epitaph gin and tonic, as well as all the fantastic craft brews that they have available. Check them out again, troubledmonk.com. Okay, the guest list today is, uh, well, it's three names long. It had been uh, planned that I was going to have four guests, but uh, one interview fell through. It would have been a 2020 draft spotlight segment, but I do have another one of those uh, to share with you today. But uh, we are going to begin this week's episode with a CHL Insider segment, and my guest will be Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet. We're going to get into the whole CHL lawsuit settlement, uh, kind of sum up what the settlement, what the lawsuit was all about, and get Jeff's perspective on that, what the settlement means moving forward, how things change for the CHL, if it does at all. Uh, and, of course, we'll get into uh, if and when the regular season can start in the Canadian Hockey League this year. So Jeff Merrick will lead off the show today. Uh, then we'll have a conversation with Jimmy Conley from USCHO. Two really big stories in the NCAA uh, hockey circles going on right now. Of course, one we've talked about a little bit here in the last month with uh, Long Island University getting up to Division One level. They have now officially signed a head coach. That actually happened the same day that I did the interview with Jimmy. And the other big story uh, circles around the University of Alabama Huntsville and the Chargers, who, as you heard last week on the show, in fact, it happened that day, suspended the program. They Well, they not suspended it. They'd canceled the hockey program. They eliminated it. Well, there was a grassroots GoFundMe sort of program established, and if they could raise $500,000, it would be enough to get the program to save the program. That has actually happened officially here today. So that's big news. We talked to Jimmy about that effort. Again, that, that conversation's a couple days ago. Uh, so since then, the uh, program for Alabama Huntsville has been saved. Uh, but we do talk about that, that situation uh, with Jimmy. And then we'll close out today's episode with a 2020 draft spotlight. To, uh, the player coming from the Western Hockey League, so it's an in-the-dub segment as well. Tristan Robbins of the Saskatoon Blades is my guest. He's ranked inside the top 100 by Central Scouting after having a terrific season, so you'll get to know that player today as well. But we will start things off with a CHL Insider segment. Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. And now it's a 2 on 0 Mishak and Shirk. Jan Mishak! Patrick goal! Hello, I'm Jan Mishak of Hamilton Bulldogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. 
There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Giant Turkey is a little over the line, my man. We are back on The Pipeline Show, and we're going to kick off this week's episode. Uh, well, it doesn't get a whole lot better than this. we got lots to talk about when it comes to the CHL with this big lawsuit being settled now and uh, what it means moving forward to uh, talk about it. Uh, we're going to get somebody from Sportsnet who uh, has known this league for a long time, uh, Jeff Merrick. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Jeff. Uh, it's been a while, been too long, in fact. Yeah, I agree. Good to have you back on the show. Great to hear your voice, and uh, yeah, glad to be talking to uh, to you and your listeners. So thanks so much for having me. What is life like uh, where you are right now? I am in Stouffville, a little bit north of the city of Toronto, and it is uh, like we're right on the border of Stouffville and Uxbridge. So it's uh, you know we bought a farm property years ago, so we have some space, we have some quiet, uh, which is nice <laughs> around this this time of year that we're not in the in the in the city of Toronto. Although I guess you could probably make the argument it's quiet everywhere, mm. but uh, the kids are happy, the kids are healthy. We put a pool in last summer, so it's. It's poolside life here for the Merrick family. <laughs> All right, well let's uh, let's get right to it. And uh, the big news around the CHL in the last uh, week or so has been the settlement of that uh, that massive lawsuit uh, that was uh, put against them by some former players looking to uh, get minimum wage payments for uh, current yeah. and past players. Maybe just for the uh, the audience that isn't fully up to speed on what the lawsuit was all about. In your opinion, what was it all about? The cynical part of me says it was about getting a lot of lawyers really rich. Yes. Um, but I mean, the, the, the actual lawsuit, and it was settled, you know, going back some time now, uh, three separate class action lawsuits, uh, that were, that was filed by former CHL players, um, looking for things like minimum wage and back pay, um, and the, uh, the, the dollar amount, uh, in it. And this again is a settlement, uh, is $30 million. And so that is split. I mean, insurance does cover part of it, but it is split between all 60 CHL teams. And where it's, where it's a, a tricky payment schedule for, for some teams, uh, each team, uh, there's, there's two installments. I think it's $160,000 each. I had to check on that. Um, each, each payment, the first payment is due in September and the second payment is due in October. So with, you know, the prospects of maybe no CHL season or a paused CHL season or a 36-game CHL season, whatever, uh, I don't think it's going to submarine uh, any CHL teams. I don't think any teams are going to vanish because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, uh, for some of the, the smaller operators uh, around the CHL, we're not talking about the powerhouses, uh, this one is going to be a, this, this one's going to be a, a, a tough pill to swallow and it's it's not going to tickle and it's going to go down sideways for some of them. I know some of the, uh, the, the 30 million or a lot of the 30 million is going to be covered by insurance. So will it really impact uh, the individual teams all that much? Or I, I think I've seen yeah, a number like 250,000, yeah, something like that. Correct. Yeah. So it'll be 250 over, over two installments. Again, the first installment due September, the second due in, in October. So it's not, it's not going to be comfortable for anybody. Uh, we all know the margins that some junior hockey clubs run on, and you may look at me and say, "Hold on a second, Merrick. Here, it's like anything else. It's a, it's an equity play, and you cash out when you sell your team." And I understand all of that, um, but you know, you do wonder if there's going to be a scenario, and I don't see this, 
that there's a scenario whereby the CHL opens up without fans. Mm-hmm. Um, that you couple the, the payments for the the CA, the, uh, the minimum wage lawsuit and the complete loss of revenue. And there's no team in the CHL that's going to survive just on sponsorships. They need butts in the seats. That is a recipe for disaster for some of the smaller operators. Now, the original lawsuit was for $180 million in back wages and overtime pay and vacation pay. Uh, and yep. it, the settlement is for $30 million. If uh, If you told yeah. me, Jeff, that uh, I owed you $180 and I said, well, here's 30 are we good? <laughs> um, I'm not sure how you'd feel about that. Um, so when you're you looking, always shoot, you always you always shoot higher, though, right? Is, like if is you, that if you if you want if you, yeah, I think if 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 you're looking, I mean, everyone has a number that they're gonna that they'll that they'll settle on, and I'm I'm sure. I mean, when you looked at like even just anecdotally, like you never got the sense that while you know the CHL was working uh, quite diligently to have things like legislation change to to redefine you know what a, what a CHL player is. Um, you, you never got the sense that the uh, the legal group res- representing these players was concerned at all. And I, I sort of looked at that and I said, I wonder if this is just headed to a settlement because of that. That as much as, you know, we're going to go full steam ahead with this one. You know, you're right. When you have like that 180 that's out there and you end up settling for 30, you, you wonder if the play all along was to settle. And then you say to yourself, you know, I, I, again, off the topic said, you know, if I'm just cynical, it's about making some lawyers rich. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at, you know, Sam Berg, who comes in as the, the, the big winner in all this, and he only played a handful of CHL games, you know, he gets $20,000 and then there's a collection of other players, you know, who get anywhere between the thousand to, to $1,500. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily what the players had in mind as far as a, a conclusion. To all of this, and, and you wonder if a lot of them might be thinking to themselves, "Well, was this even worth it?" Well, and especially because it doesn't change anything moving forward. The CHL, I mean, the players going forward now still not going to be getting minimum wage or anything. So really, it, it does just become a bit of a cash payout. And I'm with you. I don't know if the players who started this or the people who got the players uh, to start this lawsuit, if that was their sure. intention. That's a great point. Let me follow it up with this. So I asked someone with one of the CHL teams just not too long ago. I said, you know, so what changes, like, is there any sort of silver lining to this? Um, you know, for the, uh, for the, for the CH, like what, what changed here? And he said to me, you know, very quietly, some things did change behind the scenes that just weren't widely publicized. And it's for the betterment of the players mm-hmm. and for the betterment you can, clearly make the argument for the CHL. Um, things like, you know, uh, summer development reimbursements uh, for training, you know, sometimes that would be fought over. Now it's not like that is like because of the lawsuit, you know, teams would be worried about the optics of not covering off, you know, you know, uh, helping out with, with, with summer development or creating sort of, and this may seem like such a small thing, but, you know, players and, uh, you know, and, and hockey operators and how big a deal this is minimums on, you know, how to feed the kids. Like all of a sudden there was a standard where before it's like, you know, you could have, you know, one billet family making sure that there's a you know healthy dose of, you know, protein and carbohydrates and all these you know important things for, for an athlete and someone else who's just getting, you know, mac and cheese three times a day because it's cheap and it's easy and it's efficient. Mm. Uh, but now there are a lot of, a lot of minimum standards that have been put in place. And again, None of this is widely publicized. It's all very quiet. 
but there have been some things that behind the scenes have changed to make it a better experience for the players that I would imagine gives it is a direct reflection of what the CHL, CHL just went through with this class, class action lawsuit. Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet, he's my guest right now as we're chatting about the CHL and that lawsuit that uh, was recently settled. $30 million bucks, uh going to the player's side. Uh, much of that will be eaten up by uh, lawyer fees and, and things like that. But you mentioned Sam Berg. He's getting 20000 Travis McAvoy, uh, who's a former uh, WHLer, uh, and uh, Kyle O'Connor, another WHLer, Lucas Walter, a WHLer, and uh, Thomas Gobiel. Uh, they are all getting about ten grand. Um, one of the things that is uh, similar, for, well, the same for all five of those players, none of those five used their CHL scholarship package, which would have paid about $30,000. So um, they're not even getting that. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, I, I've always, I, like, I mean, I like to see, I, I know plenty of players, uh, a lot personally, a lot of guys that, uh, like the gym that I work out at, there's a, there's a lot of kids that have gone through the CHL um, uh, specifically in the Ontario Hockey League and use their packages. Um, you know, one is still playing and had a very successful season with the Guelph Griffins um, this year. I mean, that to me, like I always wonder, I always put myself, because it, it, it's natural. You, know, you put yourself in this position like, okay, if I was a parent, you know, what would I want for my child in this situation? Um, and I would, honestly, like I would care less about uh, about minimum wage than I would about coaching and environments and, you know, scholarship. Now you can argue about when they're able to use it and how quickly and how quickly it evaporates in different stages and different tiers of the, of the education package, you know, but if I'm, you know, if I'm uh, a parent of someone playing junior hockey and I, again, I might, I might be in the minority here, but I would, you know, say to the, the, uh, the owner of my kid's CHL team, like, you know, I'll worry about putting a couple of bucks in his jeans. Don't worry about that. Just make sure some of the bigger things around my son as a player are taken care of and make sure he has the best possible education package here. Hmm. I, I, what I found was telling uh, in the after the um, once the settlement was announced was the reaction hmm. from a lot of former players, not all of them who use their scholarship package, but are, went on and played pro. But a lot of f- former players really speaking out against uh, these uh, players that were involved in this lawsuit and um, how they were very protective of of the CHL from their perspective and, and spoke about how it was not about getting minimum wage, never crossed their mind when they were playing, uh, and that this, was, yeah. this wasn't a good look for the players. You know, if these guys still, and I'm with you, like we, we talked to, you know, the, the, you know, the, the same players, whether it's NHL or whether it's guys that never made it, you know, past their Western Hockey League career or whatever. And they look back on their junior hockey experience fondly. Yeah. Like it's like, like when, what type of price tag do you, do you put on that? Um, I do, listen, like I do understand what the players were after. Like I get it. I understand it, but I also understand how players look back at their junior time and don't think about, wow, was I getting hosed because I wasn't making $15 an hour? Or do they look at the memories and the friendships and the relationships and the time where, and I know junior hockey is a business, um, but where hockey was a little bit more pure than when they, uh, than when they turned pro. And that might be one of the reasons why. You know, you continue to hear, you know, the whispers and the rumors, and a lot of guys still already do. You know, a lot of NHL guys go back to buy junior hockey teams. 
And you ask them why. You say, like, okay, well, if you're, oh, there's always like that one third, one third, one third argument. One third are doing really well. One third are in that middle. Depends on what's going to happen if they make the postseason or not. They might turn a profit. And then the other third that are, you know, that are going season to season, whether they're going to be able to to make it work. You know, why NHL guys would, you know, uh, always want to they'll go back and, and, and buy junior hockey teams. We always hear about whether it's, you know, Tyler Sagan or PK Subban or Taylor Hall, like, why do these guys want to go back and, and, and look at buying, you know, junior hockey teams? And those names are very much out there. Mm-hmm. And you say to yourself, you know, I wonder if this is just, you know, you have that soap and warm water feeling about a time in your life with hockey when, you know, it, 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 it hit you emotionally. It didn't feel like it was a business. You made great friends. You had a wonderful experience and you want to make sure that you nourish that. And you make that make sure that that's alive for this next generation of hockey player. Now that said, and I think it could be it's fair to say both you and I are, are CHL guys. We're fans of the league and we we enjoy covering the yeah. league. Um, so maybe you could argue somebody could argue we might be a bit biased, and I'll, that's fine. What I don't mm-hmm. like is that if there are um, instances where teams aren't acting appropriately or a player is having a problem getting you know their their scholarship package paid out or whatever or things like what we're hearing about Niagara that there was you know one contract to the league and one in the desk drawer and some promises and if he's yeah. questionable behavior put it that way that stuff has to be rooted out and I think the penalties for breaking some of these rules have to be significant it has to be significant enough that it doesn't happen anymore because one bad apple uh, really tarnishes the entire CHL, in my opinion. How do you feel about you it? You know, I uh, I agree with you 100%, and that's why I was, you know, e- even more for me. Now, how livid were you when that Flint situation went down? Now, yes. Flint is, uh, I mean, I was, remember someone saying to me at, at our shop, like, why are you so upset? Like, you're like, I've never seen you get this upset about, about hockey before. And I'm like, well, these are kids. Like these, these are kids and their futures. And, you know, there are various people that are being frivolous about, you know, their, their lives and their futures, et cetera. Like I was, I was real pissed. He like to, to be perfectly blunt with you. And I'm with you. Like when, like, cause again, like you put yourself in a parent's hand, like in a, in a, in a, in a parent's point of view, like when you hand your child over to someone else in a different city, mm-hmm. like you have to have a certain level of trust that everything is going to be done by the book because, you know, these aren't grown men that are, you know, that are leaving home as fully developed, you know, fully developed uh, human beings here. These are still impressionable young people that are chasing a hockey dream. It is a very difficult, uh, it is a very difficult uh, cord to cut when you're a parent. And you, that's why I think you better make sure and, you know, the, uh, the entire CHL needs to make sure that these kids are taken care of appropriately and that all the rules are above the board. And when those are transgressed, I'm with you, Guy, they should, the league should come down on them, you know, not with kid gloves, but should come down on them in a very significant way. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, let's talk about what happens if and when the CHL does come back. I shouldn't say if, it will. Don't know when. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I would have to think uh, when it first comes back, boy, it might look a little different than what we're used to. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, you wonder about how many games you're going to be able to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are different models. I mean, the one thing that the CHL has done already, they've pushed back the Memorial Cup uh, a couple more weeks. 
So that does give the schedule a little bit of flexibility. So you could have a say a 68 game season that starts on time or a 68 game season that starts a couple of weeks later. Uh, also models for, I want to say 54 game schedules and I think as few as 36 uh, as well. But I, I, I think one of the things that we're all on the same page with that unlike the NHL, there's no way there's going to be a CHL season if they can't allow fans. Yeah. In. Um, like that's, that, that's, that you might as well just, you know, flip the pencil around and start erasing some franchises because that's, that's going to be a non-starter for a lot of the, the hockey operators. And you know what? Yeah. I, I think they're going to, I mean, I think everybody in hockey right now, you know, and we saw this going back in March when everything started to get, uh, either paused or, or shut down. I think everyone's watching the NHL closely to see how they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and watching to see when they're able to get their game back on the ice. And, and one of the operators that I talked to uh, this morning said, you know, I, I still don't know what that one bit of information is going to be. And we're all waiting for it. You know, what's that one piece of information that says, okay, it's all right to start to, you know, put together a season, start talking about training camps and start to get your team back in town and get your team back on the ice. Well, I know part of the the situation is the the whole. I mean, you come into Canada from outside, and you got to quarantine yeah. for two weeks, and I don't know how you get around that uh, right now. And I mean, there are what is it eight American based franchises, so you're talking about having needing to have the border uh, open for one thing. And what yep. about the import players? I mean, there are so many moving parts right now. Uh, what's your best guess? When do you, when do you, do you actually think there could be a scenario where things get started? You know, relatively on time or uh, for me, I, I'm already saying January. Uh, if at I'm best, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm saying January, both for uh, both for for CHL hockey and and also for minor hockey across the country as well. And everybody awaits Hockey Canada's ruling and, and decision on that. So far, they they've pushed it to September 1st, and it's just sort of you know rolling along. Um, yeah, I'm 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 more. I, I don't think that the CHL. I mean, if they can, I mean, this is a hail mary pass that lands, and all of a sudden things are much better. Um, I. I have a hard time believing the CHL season is going to start on time. Um, and if there is a CHL season next year, uh, I can't see this thing starting before January. And another, th- another thing to consider too is even, you know, the nature of people and, and do they want to go to rinks? And you look at the nature of season ticket holders, for example, generally these are older people, mm-hmm. um, that are more susceptible to, uh, to, to COVID-19 as well. What's that level? Uh, what's their level of, uh, of appetite to, to go see, to go seeing, uh, junior hockey games? Like there's, and again, they have a, a lot of, uh, the same pitfalls that the NHL has. Uh, but unlike the NHL, you know, they're not going to be able to survive on, on, uh, on pay or pay bills based on TV contracts and sponsorships. Like they need to get people into these buildings. Um, and it's not going to happen, and I, I don't think until it's a hundred, uh, as close to a hundred percent safe uh, as possible. So I'm with you. I, I can't see anything. If I'm throwing darts to the dartboard here, I can't see anything starting until January for the CHL. I hope again. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm skeptical about the NHL being able to get on the ice and and pull off this this 2014 playoff, and I'm skeptical about the CHL starting on time. 
And I've never wanted to be more wrong in my life than I am right now. Yeah, I hear you. I agree completely. Uh, lastly, uh, about the NHL draft, I know they've set a date for the lottery. You hearing anything about when the actual draft will take place? Will it only be after, if and when the 24 team uh, playoff is complete, or could you see them doing a draft uh, regardless of the actual on ice stuff? It, it sounds like, and again, like like you, I, I'm I'm throwing darts and haven't you know don't have any inside information on this, but it, it seems as if in this situation the general managers have won. We are like one is a, it's a loose term, but the general managers are getting what they want here, and that there's not that draft in in early June or in June at all. Draft lottery in the, in late June, and then I think much like everything else, when you heard the the commissioner speak the other day, you know everything nothing is going to have a timetable attached to it. Uh, right now, this is a league that needs to be flexible based on when health authorities will allow it to get back in action. That's why you hear like, well, we'd like to have training camp at the beginning of July, but if we can't, we can push that. We'd like to get the games on starting in late July, mm-hmm. you know, fill some of those Olympic dates for NBC, but if not, then August, and if not August, we'll just keep pushing it. So I don't think we're going to get a, a specific date for the draft, but to me, it, it sounds like and it feels like they might just wait uh, until the, uh, the NHL playoffs are all done, which, which, which would complicate things if the CHL starts before the NHL playoffs yeah. are done for this past season for all the obvious, uh, you know, uh, implications of sending players like Alexi Lafreniere back to Ramuski before his draft one more time. Wow. So many moving parts and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Jeff. I really appreciate you making the time to come back on the Pipeline Show. It's great to catch up once again. Uh, what do you guys got coming up uh, on Sportsnet? Uh, Elliot and I continue to bang through our podcast each and every week. These, these marathon podcasts that we're doing, plus Hockey Central, uh, still carries on uh, Monday to Friday from noon to 2 Eastern. Uh, the various video shows, the Ask 31 that Elliot and I are doing. And honestly, at this point, Guy, what Ever they ask us to do, we're just uh, happy to try to stay on the air and try to keep some type of hockey alive in this country. Thanks for your time, Jeff. Stay safe. Uh, thanks, all. You too. Best to you and your listeners. Stay safe, everybody. Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet, and uh, he's uh, covered the CHL for a very long time. Uh, I've met him a number of times uh, in person at different CHL events. Uh, great to catch up with him again. He used to come on the show uh, fairly regularly. In fact, we always had him on at the start of the year to talk about uh, we we very rarely talk NHL uh, on this show but we would get Jeff on to uh, kind of put together a uh, Calder Trophy candidate list guys just going into their first season of the NHL uh, we haven't done that in a long time but uh, Dean and I used to get uh, Jeff on the show every September probably uh, to to do that uh, so it's been a long time actually since Jeff uh, has been uh, on the show so it was great to catch up with him again and get his take on uh, the whole uh, CHL lawsuit uh, stuff and uh, what happens moving forward for the league. When I was talking to him about uh, how the five guys in particular who were named and Sandberg's going to get 20000 and the other four guys who are going to get uh, 10000 each and how that money doesn't equal their the scholarship package that was available to all of them. Uh, I should say um, Sandberg, while he... The CHL scholarship package, at least from the WHL, is 70, about 7500 bucks a year uh, to cover tuition and books. Uh, and you get that for every year that you played in the league. So in a case of Stan Berg, who only played eight games in the Canadian Hockey League and then went on to sue the league, he would only have the one season uh, of 
CHL scholarship, so about seventy five hundred bucks. So he's getting twenty thousand. So I guess he's making out all right. Travis McAvoy, who played uh, four years in the league, uh, he's going to get ten thousand uh, dollars. Did he actually did play one year of U Sports hockey? It was three seasons after he had uh, finished up with his junior eligibility, and it, the, according to Elite Prospects, he didn't play those two years in between. Uh, so I'm not sure if that was injury related or not. Uh, but he did play the one year of U Sports, so I'm not sure whether or not he was able to use his his scholarship package uh, because it was after the 18th month period. But he wasn't he didn't play pro, so I'm, I'm, it's a bit of a gray area for me personally. So I'm not sure. Maybe during those two years where he didn't play, maybe he was also uh, using his scholarship package. I don't know. Uh, but four years at 7,500 bucks each, that is uh, thirty thousand dollars. He's getting ten thousand dollars from the lawsuit. Uh, Kyle O'Connor, who played uh, three years with the Kootenai Ice, did not use his scholarship package. At least not he didn't play hockey at U Sport level. I don't know if he's gone on and maybe it's just taking classes or not. But uh, three seasons would have given him uh, about uh, twenty-two and a half thousand dollars. He's getting ten grand from this lawsuit. So is Lucas Walter, who played three years in the CHL, two with Tri City, one with uh, the St. John Sea Dogs in the Q. I did see a CBC story it was a news tv so they uh interviewed him and it was on camera and all that it was he and another player uh, and just kind of weighing the differences of how they looked at their time in the chl and uh, about the lawsuit uh one player was obviously very happy with his time in the uh ohl for him and defended everything about the chl lucas walter was part of this lawsuit uh, and uh, said he felt like he was taken advantage of uh, he, at one point in the interview, though, he did say he wouldn't change anything. He would go back and do it again. So that's a little confusing. But anyway, he's getting ten grand. He had three years worth of a CHL scholarship that I can't tell that he he didn't play anywhere. He didn't play any youth sport hockey. Doesn't mean he didn't go to college though. And the fifth player who gets a thousand bucks is Thomas Gobiel, or ten thousand dollars rather. Uh, Gobiel played. Parts of one, two, three, four seasons in the queue. Uh, so he'd have 30 grand in uh, CHL scholarship money as well available to him. But it looks like he uh, didn't use it as well and uh, played one year in the ECHL or one part of one season. He only played four games. Uh, but it doesn't look like he played any U sport hockey either. Anyway, I don't know what the situation is for those five players, why they didn't use their scholarship package, or if they did and just didn't play any youth sport hockey uh, while they were doing that. That that happens. It's not the norm. but uh, So I don't know if they did or didn't use their scholarship package. Anyway, those are the five guys who are getting the uh, the larger payouts, as they were uh, named in the, uh, the lawsuit. Uh, I don't believe players should be paid minimum wage. Uh, I do, however, as I said to Jeff, if there are shenanigans, if there are shady dealings from teams, if, if any teams or GMs are operating uh, outside the rules, and for me that goes that includes like the import draft and things like that, uh, I think the hammer has to come down on instances like that severely enough that it is a deterrent so that it doesn't happen anymore. As I mentioned with Jeff, you know, the bad actions of one team affects the other 59 teams in the CHL. So if it was me, I would want to root all the bad apples out as much as uh, humanly possible. Anyway, that's my thoughts on it, and I wanted to get Jeff's thoughts. If you have uh, thoughts you want to share with me, you can always hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. 
and we can continue the conversation in a civil way if you'd like. Let's get to our next guest, and coming up after the break, it'll be an NCAA campus report. Jimmy Connolly from USCAHO is going to join me. We are going to talk about both the University of Alabama Huntsville Chargers situation and a new head coach for Long Island University, but uh, that was announced uh, the same day that I had the conversation with Jimmy. So we'll just talk about what's ahead for the Sharks as they seek to establish themselves as a Division One program. All of that coming up next here on the Pipeline Show. Matias Samuelson left point. Gruden around on the right side. one nothing U18. Stasny walks the line, took the shot right on goal. They score! Farabee put in the rebound. And Farabee gives his grandmother a birthday present. It's 2 nothing. Hey, it's Bill Fairby from Team USA, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. He is a midnight mover. He can go on in the sunlight. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Ben Bishop. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Andy Green. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yo, ding dong, man. Ding dong, ding dong, yo. Back on the Pipeline Show, let's get going with an NCAA campus report. And uh, my guest this week, uh, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. Jimmy, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you out in Boston? Uh, surviving. You know, it's always nice to be in the house for 10 weeks straight. You know, yeah. nothing more I, I wanted in a, in a spring than that. But uh, the golf courses are open. That's all I can say. Life is good. Oh, uh, that's for sure. And you know what's funny is there's actually, there might be more NCAA hockey news right now to talk about than this time in a lot of years. Uh, and uh, I guess the big news this week, kind of a negative, that Alabama Huntsville, the Chargers, are, uh, while well, they're dropping their hockey program, although I know there is a, a bit of a grassroots effort, at least to raise a million bucks, and if they can do that by the weekend, they're apparently they're told that they can, they'll can they reestablish, they'll reinstitute the, uh, the hockey program. But um, start with the, the cancellation. Uh, for me, it was a surprise, but reading the stories, it sounds like maybe the writing was there on the wall anyway. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, anytime you lose a hockey program, it's just an absolute tragedy. And it's, it's been quite some time, uh, you know, more than a decade since uh, any Division One program has dropped. And I think everybody out there that's involved in the game is, is dedicated to growing it. You want to see more teams, not less teams. And, um, you know, so it, it's sad news when you hear of a program that's going to drop. You mentioned there is a kind of a grassroots effort, um, you know, started by some alums and some supporters of the program. They're trying to raise the number, the, the, the magic number they seem to need to get is 500000 through a GoFundMe. Um, and then they have some big time, bigger time donors that will match that and okay. it'll put it over the million that they need. So, um, we haven't gotten any confirmation from the school that that will be uh, a, a definite. Uh, you know, uh, the newspaper down there, uh, AL.com, is reporting that, and uh, it would be good news. But that's still a pretty big, that's a giant step to 
you know, even with GoFundMe, I think the last I looked, it was somewhere around 160, 170,000 that they've raised in a day. But, you know, you're still talking about nearly having to triple that to, to get over the 500,000 mark. Um, but, you know, I, I think the writing was on the wall, Guy, when you really think about it. The WCHA kind of falling apart um, with seven of the teams in that league deciding to go and form their own league, which ironically is going to be called the CCHA, a very familiar name, but a very different look to the league. Um, you know, they those teams immediately put in peril Alabama, Huntsville, and the two Alaska schools, uh, the University of Alaska in Anchorage and in Fairbanks. So those three programs all in a lot of uh, financial turmoil uh, before really this took place and know, knowing that you had no com- conference, then throw coronavirus in and the lost revenues for, for schools and programs and every single school out there sounds like they're hurting right now a little bit financially, some in better shape than others to handle it. Um, but you put all of these things together and if, if Huntsville was not going to survive after this year where they were going to be homeless without a league, trying to find somebody, and don't get their geographically challenged as it is, no real programs anywhere near Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all this might have done was accelerate the process. And I think that when the, the, the athletic director and the president down there had to look at and make some tough decisions, they did, you know, hockey was one of the sports along with, um, I think it was men's and women's gymnastics, those three of the programs that they decided to cut. Um, but, you know, it was a program that was in such peril, it just kind of sped up the timeline. Is hockey one of the more expensive programs for a university? I know, uh, I think football and basketball probably are the, the biggest, but also the biggest money uh, uh, producing ones as well, wouldn't it? Wouldn't they be? So where, where does hockey kind of fit in? Yeah, it's definitely up there. Um, you know, the equipment costs, and arena-related fees, whether you own your arena or you uh, rent uh, the ice, those those fees are very high compared to uh, sports like, say, men's and women's golf or gymnastics. That's one that everybody kind of puts out there as one of the easier. You know, crew, you might have some expensive boats, but once you buy one, it lasts forever. It, there's just so there is a lot of overhead costs. Um, and, you know, let's not forget that, you know, it is a pretty high profile program within the university. So just the cost to employ your staff, your head coach, your two assistants, your athletic trainer, your strength and conditioning coach, maybe you have a psychiatrist on staff, you have equipment staff, all those right there, you know, can easily run a, a university over a million dollars just in those salaries alone. So um, it is one of the higher uh, cost programs. So when you do eliminate it, if you're a school that's in financial uh territory where it's it's, it's a, a high risk to, to keep a program like that it's it's easy as an athletic director sometimes to to cut that as opposed to programs that just don't have those same overhead costs now it's a shame obviously as you said that uh, we lose a, a, a division one program uh, in the big scheme of things there'll be people who say well it's it's alabama like uh, hockey doesn't work there anyway is this a big loss for for the ncaa i think it is uh you know like i said in starting that Anytime you lose one program, there's only 60 out there. So to go down one is is more damaging, you know, to the overall landscape than anything. And you, you're talking other schools out there that have shown interest in adding programs. Do they have to sit back and say, oh, well, they didn't, this school, school X didn't survive. Should we even be really considering adding hockey? It's such a big expense, such a big cost. So it, 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 there's, 
there's an overall uh, danger for the NCAA and, you know, for you look at College Hockey Inc. and what they've been able to do to market the program, it feels like you take a little step back when you lose a program. And I think that's how a lot of the people feel right now. Uh, will there be other programs to take their place? Absolutely. But, you know, Long Island University had just announced that they were going to start Division One men's hockey. But, you know, it still doesn't take away the sting of losing a program um, that has that has a pretty good history. I mean, this is a a school that won two Division II national championships. They made an NCAA tournament in 2010 as a Division I program, so they have a lot of great history. All right, well, that's where I was going to go. We'll get to Long Island in, in a second, but, um, you know, I when I'm looking at alum who are in the NHL or have made it, Cam Talbot immediately comes to mind. I don't, yeah. I don't know if there's an extensive list beyond that. What about fan support? Like, was there a lot of – were they getting attendance? And, and uh, I mean, will it be a program that – uh, from at least from a fan perspective, will it be missed? I, I don't think that they had huge attendance, um, but they had, from what I'm, I'm learning over the last uh, five, six days, they had a lot of very dedicated fans. Hmm. And, you know, they, you know, you see that in a lot of these hockey programs where maybe you don't have, you know, 10 or 11,000 every night, like you might at a uh, Wisconsin or North Dakota or Minnesota, but you have a very passionate 15, 1600. Um, and that's something that, you know, you, on, a, on a campus like uh, Alabama Huntsville, it's a pretty small school to start, or a relatively small school. That was probably their their centerpiece sport when you really look at athletics. Hmm. All right. Uh, you mentioned 60 teams. Well, that's because there was briefly for about two weeks, at least going to look like <laughs> there was going to be 61. Uh, now down to 60 again. That's assuming Long Island uh, gets off the ground and running in time for well, whenever the season, uh, this coming season, will actually start. First off, your thoughts on Long Island uh, jumping up to Division One level because this really, again, seemed like a bit of a surprise to everybody. Yeah, it, it certainly did to, to me. Um, it, it caught me off guard, and I think it caught a lot of the college hockey world off guard. You know, there are a lot of schools out there that you hear the names thrown around, uh, the University of Illinois on the Big Ten, Navy, um, University of Rhode Island's always been floated out there. Um, these Division One schools thinking about adding hockey, and and for the most part, when you do, you go through a whole process. You work with College Hockey Inc. and the in USA Hockey and the National Hockey League to do a a feasibility study. Um, those are funded studies by College Hockey Inc. and USA Hockey and the National Hockey League. So um, this was that was not done. You know, the fact is, you know, you talk to Mike Snee and Nate Hewlett, uh, College Hockey Inc., and they'll both tell you that they really they got a couple of had a couple of very casual conversations, but they were thrown off by the fact that Long Island was, was um, adding a program. I I was thrown off, but then I kind of thought back to a conversation I had had back last, I think it was November, and there is a desire potentially for a number of schools that have played Division Two hockey for a number of years. This is St. Anselm, Southern New Hampshire University, uh, Assumption College, uh, Stonehill is one. They've added the women's. They were thinking about adding a men. They were all considering forming another conference. And one of the conf- one of the schools that was mentioned was Post University. Now, Post University's athletic de- uh, department got absorbed by Long Island University. So, if you could follow me here, I'm trying to put a, a tie back to something that I had actually heard out there. Mm. Um, but that this was a league that was going to try to operate under a cost containment structure. Maybe not the 
try to be competitive right off the bat in Division One hockey, but they wanted to. It's almost the way that Atlanta, the current, what we know as Atlantic hockey now, how they were formed back in 1998 as the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, and all of the schools that started out there were under the impression that they were just trying to have hockey on campus. We'll do it in a way that we don't have to spend a ton of money. Coaches in the league were never overly well compensated. There was never a full complement of 18 scholarships like you have at every other school. Now, Atlantic hockey has built up over time, and they've become a more legitimate league. But I had heard that you know this league was going to try to get off the ground as kind of a, a cost-containment league, and Long Island University would have been part of that. Hmm. The one question that I guess I keep asking myself is, did they just become, did their athletic director become impatient and just said, screw it, we're going to do it on our own. We'll go out, be, become a Division One independent. The, the problem I have with this is I don't feel like it's been overly well thought out. And the, the budget that I've been, that has been tossed around and uh, USCHO's writer Dan Rubin did a three-part series on this of kind of where things are. It doesn't feel like they have the resources to even kind of be competitive. Right. So to jump right into the water and say, we're going to be playing in October 2020, we'll have our season set. You don't have anybody on your schedule. Now that might be aided by the fact that Alabama Huntsville has just left a lot of openings in team schedules for that can be filled with games. Mm -hmm. You don't have any players. And again, Alabama Huntsville might be able to uh, help there as well. Um, and they, until this week where it hasn't been officially announced, but you didn't have a coach. It does sound like Brett Riley, who's, um, the son of former army coach, uh, Rob Riley, a nephew of the current coach, Brian Riley, grandson of the legendary, uh, coach Riley that was at West Point back in the, uh, fifties and sixties and seventies, uh, a big hockey family. He is going to take the job we're told. Um, and that would be, that's a great get for them because it didn't sound like they had a lot of budget to pay a coaching staff. Mm -hmm. I was given the number 150,000 for all three coaches. Um, I know a lot of coaches out there that head coaches make more than 150,000 themselves. It's probably the majority of head coaches out there. So I, 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 I say everything cautiously about Long Island, but I want it to work. Mm -hmm. I want to see another program get off the ground. And if they can somehow be successful, put together a schedule, give them five years and make them a team that we talk about. It's an area that produces a ton of great players. I mean, Long Island is, has a great hockey tradition and has never had a school. So there's a lot of potential positives, but I, everything I say, I'm saying cautiously because I don't know that they have every one of their ducks in a row to start this. Jimmy Connolly is my guest joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Uh, now, uh, we, we've, you mentioned a couple other schools that might be considering, and I'm pretty sure I read on USCHO, Illinois, and Navy. And you and I kind of talked about it when I was putting the, together that uh, uh, really intensive uh, bracket challenge for the <laughs> logos <laughs> about uh, you know places like UNLV and, and Syracuse and things like that. But um, Illinois and Navy seemed pretty legit uh, and sounded like they were about ready to announce um, – but then all this, uh, the pandemic hits and everything's on hold. So if, you know, hypothetically we get a season going and maybe we can talk about that too, when you think that might happen. But once things get back closer to normal, do you think both of those programs, uh, announce and maybe in time for 2021? I, I do think that they both announce. I don't really have a, really anything firm about when they'll be able yeah. to start. Um, 
Yeah, I do think um, Navy is just a perfect fit for the 12th school in Atlantic hockey that they've looked for for so long. They would join two other military academies and uh, Army West Point, the Air Force Academy. So uh, Navy feels like a perfect fit. Uh, they have been talking about it down there for a long time. Of course, we always say it's funding. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, before, this is going back to November, December timeframe when I was told that it's, it's a done deal. We just have this, just some I's that have to be dotted, T's that have to be crossed. Illinois, very similar situation. I mean, they were, I believe they even have the funding, uh, the public funding to build the arena uh, out there in, in Illinois. And that program as well, I think, well, they would fit into the Big Ten. We've, we've, we've probably talked about that, um, become the eighth team in the Big Ten. Perfect fit right now for what that league is looking to do. Um, but I think everything's on hold. You know, every school has to reevaluate lost revenues, especially teams, uh, schools that were going to uh, potentially make the NCAA basketball tournament, the TV revenue. You're talking, I've been told a number of $1.4 million for that first game if you your school makes the tournament. That Some conferences split that amongst all their teams. Some just give it all to the school that made it. But teams are out there and have lost money all because of that one tournament that was canceled. So that void of revenue is a big, it's a big issue to a lot of these programs. And the smaller the school, the bigger the issue. So, you know, I look at schools like Navy and Illinois, they're big. They have big, large athletic programs, big alumni bases. They should be able to pull the trigger. But like I said, everything just feels like it's on hold right now. Well, I guess, uh, well, the NHL has announced at least what they would do if they're allowed to come back. I know they're still going to have to abide by all the governmental uh, regulations, health uh, regulations, uh, before they're allowed to play. But assuming eventually the NHL gets going, will that really kind of be a a template or a, a testing ground to see whether college hockey can come back? Can college hockey play without fans? Um, I think they can. Um, it's a little bit more challenging. Like there's a, there's a lot of college sports out there that are played without fans, but you know, schools that are successful and have good fan bases, it's a big revenue loss to not have those, uh, you know, people in the seat. Um, when I think about can and will the college hockey season come back, I think it's entirely independent of the NHL. Uh, I don't think that athletic directors and presidents are sitting there, you know, waiting with bated breath to see what happens with the NHL because it's just so different in a college setting. For one thing, you've got to get their players on campus. Right. And if schools decide that they're going to have another semester of remote learning, you're talking about the potential of having to cancel all college sports. And the NCAA has come out and said, you know, if the kids are not on campus, we're not playing. And the only sport that can kind of go against that is college football because it's not run by the NCAA. Um, so I think that there's a lot of wait and see, you know, some coaches seem very positive that they'll be able to get back and get, you know, get their student athletes back on the time frame that they want. Um, but a lot of people, and this is probably the majority have said, it's going to be hard to start the season before January one. And it's, I don't even know why January one will be believed to change things. Because I, I think we all just have to understand that we don't know if there's going to be a second spike in cases. We don't know if this is going to be something that is going to happen every year. And so until there's some sort of a vaccine, I just don't know that I can positively say that there will be any college sports. Forget about just hockey. It's any college athletics 
And obviously the students are the, the biggest piece to that. If they're not on campuses, forget about it. You can scratch it off. And it could be another lost season. Uh, yeah, and I think that uh, goes for uh, hockey at uh, a number of levels too, uh, junior hockey uh, as well. Even more gate-driven for junior hockey than it would be for, for NCAA right. uh, and certainly the NHL. Uh, well, that's a lot of bad news and uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> I'd love to be talking about all the great things. Oh, sure. You, it does feel, you, you said we have so much news right now, but a lot of it doesn't feel positive. <laughs> that's right. I hope that we can get back to a place that that changes really soon. Well, if there's maybe a, a silver lining to this big dark storm cloud, maybe it's that it gives uh, LUI uh, a longer uh, longer period of time to uh, put all their ducks in a row. Yeah, that could be part of it. And, you know, the, the one good news that we all, that a lot of people got in the last day or so is that one of the great legends of college hockey, Red Barrington, he's back. He's going to basically be taking over uh, Big Ten hockey uh, for Brad Traviola, who left the, the league. So it does seem like we're going to get a, a really good positive uh, force back in the game. So I'll give you that's my good news that I can deliver to you. Excellent. And I said L-U-I. It's uh, L-I-U. My bad. Uh, before this, I hadn't even heard of the school. So uh, that's <laughs> that's how I claim my ignorance. Well, you're, you're, you're not alone. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, I really appreciate your time as always. And uh, hopefully we next time we talk, we're uh, talking a little bit more uh, happy things. I, I think that we could find some happy topics uh, in a few months from now. I really hope so. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, it was a pleasure. There is uh, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. Now, since I had that conversation with Jimmy on uh, Wednesday, uh, there's been a couple of developments on both the Alabama Huntsville front and the uh, Long Island University front. Uh, LIU gets a head coach. That would be Brett Riley. He was an assistant coach at Colgate last year. He is uh, now the first head coach for the LIU Sharks. Uh, still lots of work ahead uh, for that program. But hey, step one, they got a coach. And another positive development, with the help of that GoFundMe, the program at Alabama Huntsville, the hockey program, has been saved. And it, uh, back for this coming season, moving forward, they're going to have to put together a five-year plan to uh, get some uh, funding. Uh, but for the coming season, at least, assuming the season gets going, the Chargers are still going to be around. Interestingly, though, a couple of players... Since the announcement was made that they were ending the program, uh, a couple of players had already transferred to other schools, so they lose a couple of players as well. Uh, but, uh, hey, at least the program is still alive. We're back up to 61 Division One teams. All right, one more segment left to go on this week's episode. It's a 2020 draft spotlight. The player comes from the Western Hockey League. His name is Tristan Robbins. Get to know him next here on the Pipeline Show. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the booze from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc. And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. 
We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hello there. We're back on The Pipeline Show. We're going to have an in-the-dub segment, and it's also 2020 Draft Spotlight, as my guest today is coming from the Western Hockey League. In fact, from the Saskatoon Blades, although right now he's back home in Manitoba. Tristan Robbins, uh, welcome to The Pipeline Show, Tristan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you, and I'm just wondering what, uh, what life is like where you are right now. Uh, it's pretty slow right now. Not a lot of movement up here. Uh, I live in a small town in kind of northern Manitoba, right by a lake. So it's, it's super peaceful and I'm enjoying my time at home. All right. So you're somewhat isolated, uh, in general, just to start with, let alone, uh, you know, right now you got to keep some isolation from everybody else, but maybe it's a little easier for you. Yeah. You know what? It's always, it's always nice to kind of get away from the big cities and come back home here where life's a little slower and kind of unwind a little bit. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I'd love to get back into uh into the swing of things and getting back on the ice and getting back into it all right so are you uh like are you an outdoors guy are you on the lake fishing and stuff yes i'm a huge outdoors guy we have a we have a wakeboard boat here at the lake so we do a lot of surfing a lot of tubing and then yeah the odd time we do some fishing i'm not a very good fisherman though okay all right well let's uh look at back at the season that was and and maybe we'll start with how things ended uh, for for you and the blades and uh the playoffs were right around the corner and uh I, the blades had qualified to get into the playoffs still some seeding to be figured out at the end of things and then it all got shut down uh, where were you and the blades when you got the news uh we were on a road trip to Winnipeg actually we just finished a game in Moose Jaw and we had a uh two and two one in Winnipeg and then in Brandon and then back home so we uh, went to Winnipeg a day before the game, stayed the night, and then that night is kind of when we got the news that the league was going to be shut down. So it was, uh, yeah, kind of crazy to hear about that because we weren't really prepared for the for the season to end so abruptly like that. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, you guys, at that point, uh, it had kind of been ups and downs through the season, but you'd started to turn the corner again, and we're playing some pretty good hockey. I think you'd won three in a row when uh, when the shutdown happened. So a uh, bit, bit of frustration there, uh, certainly – that everything ended, but you guys were also starting to play some pretty good hockey. Yeah, absolutely. We were kind of hitting a, you know, pretty close to our peak of performance coming into playoffs, which we needed to do because, uh, you know, we would have had a really hard first round matchup. But yeah, like I said before, it was super frustrating having, you know, everything shut down like that because I think, you know, I can speak for everyone in the locker room when we were super excited for playoffs. For you personally, uh, your second full season in the league, you jumped from 25 points as a rookie to 73 points this past year. And from nine goals to 33, I have to go out on a limb and suggest that uh, you're probably pretty happy with the way things went for you as a on an individual basis. Yeah, absolutely. I was really happy with my season, especially my second half. I, uh, you know, I didn't think my first half was, you know, up to the standard that I want to keep my play at. But, uh, you know, for sure, I, I uh, really, you know, took control of the second half and really tried to play my best every single game. What changed? Uh, I think just my training program and, you know, spending more time at the rink working on the little things in my game that I need to improve on. Um, just the biggest, that was probably the biggest thing for me is how, you know, dialed in I got this season with, you know, my diet, my training and, uh, you know, just body maintenance as well. 
Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I know expectations at the start of the year for the Blades were pretty high, and a lot of that had to do with, I think, most people expected Kirby to be back this year. Uh, and then when he doesn't come back, how did that affect the uh, the inside of the dressing room? I, I honestly thought it, it didn't affect the inside of the dressing room so much. Obviously, it would have been a you know a huge plus and a huge uh, huge bonus for our team if we had him back. Um, but you know, the guys, we kind of kept in touch with him and we knew he wasn't going to come back. We knew that he was going to stay up there. So we didn't really mm. think about it too much. We were happy for him and all the success that he's had. Uh, but yeah, no, for sure. It would have made a huge difference if he was back with us for sure. So did that uh, open the door for somebody else, uh, to step up and take over that leadership role and, and you led the team in scoring. So I'm guessing uh, that was part of maybe the, uh, the, the drive for you was to, to fill that void. Yeah, absolutely. There was a huge hole that needed to be filled and, that opened up a big door for myself, and it gave me a lot of opportunity this year. And, you know, every every single situation in the game, penalty kill, power play, six on five. So I think, uh, yeah, that opened up a lot of opportunity for me, and I made the most of it. Tristan Robbins is my guest, plays for the Saskatoon Blades, forward, uh, and eligible for the 2020 draft. And uh, right now, uh, Tristan, there'll be people listening to this interview who aren't WHL fans. Maybe they're just NHL fans in general and might not know anything about you. So let's get a bit of background for those people. Uh, where are you from? Where, where, what town did you grow up in? Uh, so I grew up on a farm outside of Brandon. Okay. It was uh, yeah next to my grandparents' place, so I grew up out there. And then uh, when I was about 12 years old, my parents decided to move up to the lake here. So that's about an hour and a little bit north of where I used to live, where I grew up. So now I'm currently at Clear Lake, Manitoba, little lake town, a little bit north of Brandon. Yeah, uh, those of you who know where that is. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of where I've been ever since. And, and where did you play your minor hockey? I played my minor hockey based out of Brandon with the the minor week king program. So you had to that was a, like a, a an hour plus commute every time you had practice or games. That by that time my parents put me into an academy. It was actually out of Winnipeg, okay, uh, RHA Academy. So I spent the inaugural season there, and then the season following that one, and then uh, the year after that I played in Saskatoon. All right, very good. Uh, you're a forward, Tristan. Have you always been a forward, or did you uh, try spend any time on the blue line, or heck, even throw the pads on? Yeah, my dad actually uh, played professional hockey as a goalie, so I always wanted to be a goalie, but he'd never let me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I played a little bit of defense growing up, but I, you know, he mainly just kept me at forward, so I didn't really have a chance to really try anything else. Why wouldn't he let you be a goalie? Uh, I, you know what, the first year is kind of a funny story. The first year I asked him, he told me I need to work on my skating. Second year I asked him, told me I need to work on my stick handling. Third year I asked him, he said, now I need to work on both. And then fourth year, by that time, he just said it was too late. So yeah, he never really gave me a chance. <laughs> so it's a little cheaper to be a forward too, as compared to, uh, compared to a goalie. They, that goalie equipment when you're younger can be pretty pricey. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you want to be dropping a couple grand on a pair of pads <laughs> that you're going to grow out of in three years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, take me back to the Bantam draft. Uh, you were actually drafted by Regina uh, and uh, fairly high fourth over uh, fourth uh, round pick, 76th overall that year. Um, I, when I talked to players, a lot of them were, you know. At school, following along on their phone, a lot of some other guys maybe were allowed to stay home. Uh, what was draft day like for you? Uh, it was grade nine for me. Uh, over lunch break was uh, when I was drafted. I wasn't really following along, so I I was on the call with my dad because he was on the site refreshing the page. So I was just on call with him, and then uh, he told me that I got drafted by Regina, and then right after that I got a call from John Paddock, just uh, you know talking and talk and saying that they selected me and I was also super happy because one of my buddies Cole Mir was also selected to the Regina Pats that day as well so yeah it was a super exciting day for me and my family 
Well, you did get to play one game with the Pats, but uh, then the the big trade as well uh, to Saskatoon. Um, at that point, I mean, that's the only time you've been traded. What was that experience like for you to to hear that? Um, it was pretty uh, pretty eye opening for sure because you know growing up in like the minor hockey system, you know, you can't get traded, you can't really move teams unless you physically move your family. So I think uh, mm-hmm. you know that was pretty pretty eye opening to me that uh, you know getting traded is a you know a reality for a lot of players and you know that was myself in that situation so it was, it was pretty cool I think I think it was pretty cool that you know you could get traded and move to an or- another organization and have a fresh start and I think yeah it was the best thing for me well and uh, for Saskatoon fans uh, they see a couple of uh, you know veteran players getting traded to Regina that was the the Memorial Cup year uh, and you're coming back to Saskatoon there's going to be some expectation from those fans you know that you're going to be an impact player do you feel that sort of that the the weight of expectation or that the pressure from the fan base that uh, that you have to be you know uh, of of a certain uh, quality of a player do you feel that pressure at all? Uh, you know I don't feel any extra pressure given to me by the fans or you know coaching staff or expectations of you know people like that. I just I feel I hold myself to a high standard of play and I know what I want to you know accomplish in a season and you know personally and as a group and as a team. So I think uh, you know what it's just it's fun and I enjoy doing what I do. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like I have any added pressure on myself. Tell me about the NHL draft, Tristan, and, and how much, uh, if it's been on your mind at all or not. I know, I know when I talk to players, a lot of them will say they try not to think about it. But there are players who say, I, I want to know where I'm ranked. And I use that as motivation. So how do you view the uh, the draft? Uh, I mean, you know, as of right now, it's just kind of, it's grinding because we haven't really been told the date yet. Right. Of, uh, you know, when the draft's going to be. So I think that's the biggest thing on my mind is when the date's going to be. But, uh, you know, I'm not really too worried about if I'm going to be selected or where I'm going to be selected. I just, you know, kind of want it to get over with because it's kind of, you know, just grinding, like I said, just sitting here waiting, waiting and waiting for, you know, just a little bit of news that we may not get for another few weeks. Yeah, it's just dragging on and on. Uh, but go back to November or, or January, were, was the draft on your mind much? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think at that time I wasn't even ranked on any, uh, any of the ranking sites or central scouting or anything. So I think, yeah, I've come a long way from there. So not being ranked, was that a motivator for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, I had a, a pretty, not the greatest first half, I would say. Right. You know, I didn't produce as much as I thought I, or as I should have. And, uh, you know, it didn't help my stock at all, not producing and not playing as well. Well, But, yeah, for sure, I used that as a big motivator going into the second half. Now you're uh, ranked inside the top 100 uh, for NHL Central Scouting and lots of other the independent people uh, all seem to have you in the top 100 as well. So uh, obviously that second half of the season really impressed a lot of people. Uh, for those who haven't had a chance to watch you play, maybe can you give us a, a self-scouting report? Uh, what's Tristan Robbins like as a player? Yeah, for sure. I feel like, uh, you know, my game changes depending on the type of players that I'm playing with. But, uh, you know, me as, as a player, I define myself as a reliable two-way forward with, uh, you know, more of offensive ability. And uh, you know, extreme drive to score. Are you a center? Yes, I am. But I, you know, played played both right and left wing this year. Oh, really? And is well, so if you're comfortable at all three positions, is there one that feels a bit more natural? Uh, I don't really have a position that feels more natural. I don't really have an issue playing, you know, either position. But I really, really enjoy taking faceoffs, so I'd probably pick center. Well, and that was where I was going to go with uh, when people tell me they're a center. That's a skill that, um, you know, if you're good at taking faceoffs. That gets you an extra look for sure. How do you improve at the uh, at the dot to make sure that's something that's a strength? Yeah, it's, it's super, super, 
um, what's the right word I'm looking for, like calculated taking a face off. You know, you're looking at your opponent's stick angle and, you know, the timing of the ref drop, the referee dropping the puck and just, you know, trying to get body position, those little things, those, you know, microseconds that could ultimately win you the draw are super, super crucial. So is that just something you try or you're practicing in practice uh, all the time? Is it just re- repetition that, or is it a knack? Is it just a talent you, you're either good at it or, or you're not? Uh, you know, what? I feel like if you want to get good at anything, you just have to put the hours in. And uh, yeah, for sure, face-offs is a, a big thing that, you know, our centermen on our team worked on this year. We had uh, former NHL player Jared Stoll come out and give us, you know, his pointers and stuff about, uh, you know, how to win face-offs against, you know, bigger players, quicker players, and just, you know, giving us little little tidbits and uh, ideas, you know, on how to win them quicker. But ultimately, you know, everyone has their own style of winning face-offs, what, uh, you know, what things work better for them. So I think uh, for me, I've uh, done a lot of better, a lot better job than I had the, the year prior playing center winning face-offs. I think my, my percentage was like 30% or something my first year in the league. And this year it was above 50, so it was uh, quite a lot better. Nice. Um, all right, before you get to the next level, uh, what sort of areas of your game do you think you, you need to work on the most? I honestly, uh, I think everything, you know, making that jump to the next level is, is huge and not a lot of people can do that. And it's, you know, I feel like you can't be good enough and you can't be good enough in any area. So I feel like to make that jump to the next level, I'm going to have to improve on every single aspect of my game. Uh, not the biggest guy in the world. You're not six foot three and 215 pounds, but obviously it's not slowing you down to, at the level that you're at now. Um, is there a secret to having success uh, when you're, you know, under six feet tall? Uh, you know what? I just, just just your drive and compete level. Size, you know, isn't an issue in this day and age, and it's never been an issue for me. I never looked at it as an issue, but uh, you know, I think it's just it's pure will and determination. Uh, and I know uh, there's another player on your team that's uh, draft eligible this year in Kyle Krinkovic, who's also not a big guy. In fact, uh, he's even smaller than you are. But maybe give us a scouting report mm-hmm. on your teammate. Yeah, for sure. Kyle and I play really well together. He sees the ice super well. He's uh, you know, super quick playmaking forward. And uh, he's a really good release on his shot. So I think, uh, you know, him and I are a pretty dangerous combo when we're on the ice together. Him and I find each other really well. And, uh, you know, we're both both really fast players. So I feel like that puts a lot of stress in the other team, D-men. Excellent. So what do you, are, right now I know there are teams who are, uh, like NHL teams, who are trying to do their own little interviews and stuff because there's no comb- combine. Have you had uh, a chance to speak with some clubs? Yes, I have. Uh, I've talked with every single team so far. Wow. What is that process like? I know it, at the combine you'd go into a hotel room and there'd be fifteen guys around and and they'd all be interviewing you. What's it like when you're doing it online? Yeah, you know what? It's it's a, a new thing for me, given it's my draft year. I didn't have any uh, any people talk to me the year before, but uh, yeah, for sure, it's probably you know a lot different for uh, you know the teams and the scouting staff doing their reports and uh, yeah. you know, their studies and their players right now because, you know, there's no combine and stuff and no no face-to-face interaction. So there's been a lot of stuff over Zoom and over phone calls. So, uh, yeah, it's for sure, uh, you know, super unique experience and very exciting at the same time. Interesting. Well, Tristan, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, wish you the best of luck uh, with the draft whenever the draft gets held. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again when you roll through Edmonton next year with the Blades. Thank you. I appreciate your time. That was Tristan Robbins of the Saskatoon Blades. Terrific uh, young player. Great second half of the season. You heard him say the first half didn't go the way he had planned, but really picked it up in the second half and down the stretch. Could be a guy, I mean, after a 73-point season, could be a guy who's, you know, getting closer to um, being a 100-point guy uh, next year and uh, the year beyond. So 
well worth considering when it comes to the NHL draft. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of the show. Thanks to the three guests that you heard from, just Tristan Robbins uh, a second ago. Thanks to Scott Bonner from the Sports Corporation uh, for setting up that interview. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. And uh, Jeff Merrick way back in the uh, first guest segment of this uh, week's episode. Jeff from Sportsnet. Uh, Next week on the show, hope to have more players who are draft eligible, maybe a, a media guest or two as well. I just wanted to end this week's episode. I don't get political on on the show because I know that half the people listening right now uh, may agree with me and the other half uh, will vehemently disagree with uh, whatever my views are, so I'm not going to get political. But I think there's one thing we can all agree with, that uh, with the pandemic going on, uh, everybody is on edge, everybody is stressed out. You don't need to add your stress to other people, so treat people with kindness. I've been watching the news the last few days, and of course up here we get a lot of our news out of the States, and uh, some of the images and the stories that are happening in the States right now are just heartbreaking. So I would just say, do what you can to make the world a better place and, and treat people with respect. I know there is a lot of that not happening in parts of the world, and that's unfortunate. We just hope uh, eventually, it's going to say things get back to normal, but normal isn't good enough not nearly good enough in a lot of cases we need to have a new normal and i think a lot of it starts with the way we treat each other and treat ourselves as well that's it i'm off my soapbox until next week everybody my name is key flaming see ya